Next week, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Galatians uh, called Law and Gospel. Uh, But I wanted to take an opportunity to start the new year with uh, really just kind of my hope for this church uh, and and what I believe God has called us to uh, as a community of followers of Jesus uh, as we enter into our 10th year of existence in May uh, Door of Hope will be 10 years old. And, and I, I've, I've prayed a lot about this. W- w- what does that mean for us? What, what should be the focus? What should be the goal uh, of this church as we move into, um, my prayer, another 10 years of covenant faithfulness uh, to Jesus? And the word that God put on my heart, surprisingly, was just the word hope. Uh, when Darcy and I had a dream of starting a church in the city of Portland, I remember one of the things that I said to her when we were considering the name uh, Door of Hope, which comes from the book of Hosea, uh, I I remember just thinking, I want Door of Hope to be a place where people come in and and experience shalom, experience the peace of God, uh, the hope that comes from the gospel. I want them to, to have an experience where they are so comfortable hearing the most uncomfortable message possible. Uh, and, and what I am desiring for Door of Hope moving forward is that we would continue to be a community uh, that abides in Christ. Uh, for out of our union with Christ is what actually brings forth um, our, 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 the hope that we ourselves live in um, and the hope that we can actually bring to others. I want to begin with this verse here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Union with Christ is the only goal for Door of Hope. And, and I just want to state that again, that union with Christ is the only goal for Door of Hope because union with Christ, out of that flows everything else. We can talk about being a community of justice and mercy. We can talk about being a community of generosity. Uh, We can talk about being a community of evangelism and witness. But let me just say uh, very firmly that the power of all of those words that I just laid out flow out of our union with Jesus. That is the center of the gospel. It's what we need to continue to be about as a church, uh, especially in an age where it's easy to, to move away from the gospel of grace and move towards uh, things that tickle our ears, uh, popular conversations that are happening in the current age in which we live. Listen, the only thing that we have to bring to the city in which we live and the world beyond it is the gospel of hope, which is found through the union with Jesus. Christian hope, what is it? And how is it different from what the world has to offer? This is a question that I've been asking myself. I, I don't know if many of you know, but uh, I, I stated right before Christmas that on Christmas Day, I was going to go up to Alaska to be with my father, uh, Alexander, who is very sick right now. Um, I don't know how much longer he... He does seem to have nine lives. So I'm not, I'm not sure. But my, my dad, uh, I didn't grow up with my dad. I lived with him for a year out of high school. Our relationship... 
uh, has kind of been on and off. But when I came to faith in Jesus, uh, something kind of happened, uh, and I began to have this growing kind of agitation or discomfort with the brokenness of my relationship with my father, the lack of relationship with my dad. And uh, I began to kind of forge that relationship and to reach out to him and, and him to me. Uh, and, and I was struck by, you know, I think what got me, and this is, this is part of just being in that, being in, uh, in union with Jesus and the outcome of that is, is the ability to have hope for those that are hopeless. And, and I, re- I remember uh, just this overwhelming sense of, of, of conviction that came from that one verse Honor your mother and father. It's interesting. Don't, some of us wish that there was a contingency on that command. Honor your mom and dad if they were awesome. It doesn't say that. It just says, honor your mother and father. And I started asking the question, what does it mean for me to honor my father, uh, who's chosen a life uh, that physically he's kind of paying for right now? And, and part of that, I believe, uh, is, is just to simply be a faithful presence in his life of God's grace and love to have hope for him when he has no hope. Flying up to Alaska, it was interesting. I got there on Christmas Day, and I mean, I don't know if you guys have been to Alaska in the winter, but it is brutal. It's, there's only four hours of sunlight. It's, it doesn't get light till 11 a.m., and it gets dark at 3.30. It's nuts. Uh, and I, I, I got in in the afternoon, and I, I got to my dad's house, and he was much sicker than, than he had shared with me on the phone. I thought we were going to go out to dinner and go tool around, take day trips to Homer. I was looking forward to driving him around. Uh, he's on, a, on oxygen right now, so uh, he's been just trapped in his house alone for the last, for the last year uh, with just occasionally neighbors checking in on him. But when I got there, he was so sick he could barely get out of his chair. And, and my dad's a chain smoker, uh, and, he, and he keeps the television on 24 hours a day, and it's cold outside, like 14 degrees. So it was sitting in chain smoking like all day long, uh, and, which was really challenging for me. Uh, not to mention that it was a constant feed from the television of Bonanza, Little House on the Prairie, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, with a smattering of Fox News. Uh, and... Uh, and for me, that's like darn near, and occasionally the Waltons, uh, uh, close, darn near as close to like hell on earth as I can get. Uh, I love my dad at one point, he goes, he goes, man, Chuck Norris is a good actor. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> He's a good fighter. He's got a sweet roundhouse kick. <laughs> uh, I, I was asking him why he watched the Waltons in the Little House on the Prairie, and this I thought this was very revealing. He said, "He goes, he goes. I like them because they're good, good people. It's like in his loneliness, he surrounds himself with like the ideal family, the family of his youth, or, or whatever." He even said, "He goes, that Pa, pa Ingalls a good man." <laughs> I'm like. He is. He, he was. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the reason I share this with you is not to share information that would in any way dishonor my dad. I love my father, and my deepest desire for him is to come to faith. And I think I went up there with this kind of expectation that this is it. He's dying. 
I'm going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. He's going to pray to receive Jesus into his heart. And it's going to be, it's going to, you know, just in time, he's going to be like the thief on the cross, the 11th hour, and he's going to find Jesus. And, and, and it didn't go down like that. Uh, I got up there and it was me sitting a lot, listening to him talk a lot because he doesn't have anyone to talk to. It was a lot of, a, a lot of real painful uh, just reminders of the amount of suffering that people can go through, uh, the loneliness that people can experience. We did have conversations about God. He told me he believes in God and that he believes that Jesus is his only son. He goes, he goes but I don't know. I don't talk to that Jesus very often. I kind of just bypass him for the big guy. He told me that. I, you know, I'm grateful that he's even thinking about those things. And, and on the last day when I left him, I, he gave me power of attorney right before I left. I um, he, 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 he needed to go to the hospital the whole time I was there, and he refused. And when he gave me power of attorney, he's like, I'll give you power of attorney as long as you don't make me go to the hospital. And I'm like, all right, all right. I want, I'm like, but if you don't answer your phone after I leave, I'm going to call an ambulance for you. And he didn't, and now he's in the hospital. And then I called him and talked to him, and he goes, I'm like, Dad, are you mad at me? He's like, I'm not mad at you. I need to be here. And I'm like, all right, good. And he goes, but I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm kind of mad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, continue to pray for my father. But the last day, I, told, I asked him about the gospel. And, and this, this verse, really, this is the center of the gospel. Because my dad believes that Jesus Christ is real. He doesn't know his grace. He hasn't experienced his hope. He's still clinging. And my father is a reminder of how desperately we will cling as human beings to our own autonomy even to the bitter end. It's like we just feel like if I let go of this, then I lose everything. And it is true to follow Jesus, it costs us everything. And my dad even said, he goes, I know I need to receive him into my heart. I'm just not ready yet. So what does that mean for us as a church? What does it mean for me as your pastor? What it reminded me of is that my responsibility uh, is to live out the hope of the gospel as a faithful presence in the midst of a broken world. That my union with Christ needs to be evidenced in my life by maintaining hope in hopeless situations, by holding out hope for the hopeless. That union with Christ is what my father needs. It's not enough to just to believe that Jesus is. And I just wanna tell you that we will not be a conduit for God's grace uh, in the city of Portland and beyond for our family members that are lost, for loved ones that we know that we desperately want to see to come to the gospel, what we need to understand is that they, we can't make them believe, but they should believe that we believe what we say we believe in. They should see the evidence of that grace. You know how difficult it was to maintain patience inhaling cigarette smoke for six days? But God just kept reminding me, you are here to be a loving conduit of my grace to your father, regardless of his response. You are not to lose hope for him because hope for the hopeless is the center of the gospel. It's God meeting us in our absolute lowest point in our brokenness. And it all comes down to this. Are we abiding in Christ? Do we have union with him? Because out of that union flows our hope. Christian hope is not like the hope of the world that says, I hope tomorrow's weather's good. I hope this show's on tonight. I hope this team wins. The hope 
that we have as Christians is the joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promises of God. And if you remember what I said a couple weeks ago, that all the promises of God, according to 2 Corinthians, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so I look at Door of Hope and I want us to be a people that fulfill our name. I want us to be a people that are marked by union with Christ, which plays itself out in hope for the hopeless. So there are three components to hope that I want us to consider today. And the first is this. I want us to consider first the the motivation of hope. How essential is hope and and how it evidences that union with Christ? In 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I considered this verse a couple weeks ago when we were wrapping up the Apostles' Creed, but I just want to remind you that the the thrust of this verse shows that our hope uh, in God fulfilling his story, because we may not know the the details of, of how the story will end, but we do know how it ends based upon the scripture, and that there will be a day when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Because remember what the scripture says, that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ, and we are called to be ambassadors of that reconciliation. But our hope in our future life with him is the means to our sanctification in the moment. Hope does not simply wait upon God in patient resignation, but it resolves to move forward in the confident expectation that God's grace is more powerful than human sin, that God's patience is more powerful than human stubbornness. That's what I had to believe. Each morning when I wake up at my dad's house, I had moments of despair, but then I was reminded, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. There will be a day when you will see me face to face. Live out that expectation, that reality. Live out this gospel, which is me with you. And through you, I want to bring that same love to your father. Don't worry about his response. Live out that faithfulness in front of him. I think that that is our call every day of our lives as followers of Christ. And as a community of believers, it's easy to lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus. It's easy to lose sight of the union that we're called to have with him. You know, one of the most challenging things, I was talking with Tim, it actually came, Tim Smith Uh, who just started full-time this week at the end of his sabbatical. One of the things on his sabbatical that he was told, and and I've been thinking about it for myself, is learning what it means to be identified with Christ apart from ministry. It's so easy to lose ourselves in ministry, that our hope is no longer in Jesus, our hope is no longer in his return, our hope is no longer in his reconciling the world. Instead, we become so consumed with the world around us that our hope can be in various things, even good things like the church itself. But I shouldn't be identified first and foremost with the church. I'm identified first and foremost with Jesus, which then I can give myself fully to the church being a conduit of that hope. Each of us should be the same. Where is your central identity? What is the thing that motivates you to get out of bed each day? There is so much hopelessness in our world, but we need to remember that the hope in Christ 
resolves us to move forward in confident expectation that God's grace is bigger than human sin, that his love is greater than our stubbornness. It is driven by the firm belief that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. We know the end of the story, and this hope leads to our sanctification. Listen to this amazing quote by C.S. Lewis uh, in regards to hope. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. That our effectiveness in the moment, in this current broken world in which we live, is driven by our hope for the future the real belief that Jesus is gonna put right all that is wrong? Do we hold to that tenaciously? Does it drive us as a community? Do we have an eternal perspective, door of hope? Something that we need to continually ask ourselves. That eternal perspective will not be there if we don't first have union with Jesus. And so I wanna keep leaning back into that. It is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Our hope is in his glory Uh, Our hope is in our union with him and it flows out of that and motivates us. Hope moves us. The Christian life is never static. It's going somewhere. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say where he was going, but we do know where it's gonna end. Do you live with that hope? Secondly, I want us to consider the assurance of hope. Uh, This is really important because this connects our ability to understand suffering uh, without us losing sight of the power of the transformative work of the gospel. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice that the moment the Christian loses hope and in eternity with Christ, loses hope in the gospel, it actually eradicates our ability to be effective in this life. The writer of Hebrews, the preacher is writing to a church that has come under persecution. It is suffering for its faith in Jesus. And and this preacher is encouraging the church to not lose sight of the end game to hold tenaciously to the truth of the gospel, to have full assurance of the hope until the end that Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but what? But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You know, in our attempts to live out life with our own autonomy in place, we create suffering when we avoid Jesus. And so then we suffer for the wrong reasons where there is no hope in that, but suffering for the gospel, suffering for Christ, being willing to sit in someone else's pain, being willing to enter into someone else's brokenness because the the gospel of Jesus has inspired us to do so, to become servants to those that are hurting, to give ourselves to those who are the least in this world. That is the kind of suffering that actually brings about joy. It's the place where we don't lose hope because Jesus never said that you're gonna live a pain-free life. 
Hope is not an escape from the problems of the world, but assurance that we can deal with these problems in light of God's grace. That's why Romans chapter 5 Uh, Verses three through five says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering, and notice, this is suffering that that comes out of being obedient to the gospel. It's not suffering because of our reluctance to obedience, Uh, but suffering that comes out of our obedience, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice that it comes back to the gospel of grace, that it begins with God, his love being poured out into our hearts that creates the disciplines of devotion. It flows out of our relationship, our union with him. We receive into our lives his life, and that life produces in us a willingness to enter into the brokenness of the world in which he has called us to be. And we don't lose hope in fact, we bring hope into hopeless situations. I, I constantly ask myself this question, am I living in such a way that those who are outside of the gospel, those who are lost in their brokenness, am I living in such a way that there is supernatural evidence that I belong to Jesus? They may not understand what it is, but do they sense light in me? Are they experienced? Do I carry with myself a joy in the midst of difficulty? I had to ask this question each morning. I'm like, Lord, let me evidence the reality of your presence to my father. And you know, one of the worst moments is that one moment I just lost my patience and we got in a fight. And it was just like one of those low moments where I'm like, Lord, dang it. I just allowed my tiredness and the overwhelming sense of his sickness. To, I lost sight of Jesus. And it's just so easy. We don't realize how easy it is to try to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit. We don't realize how easy it is to move from, from gospel back to law, uh, from gospel back to, to self. And, and, and what was powerful, though, is that I immediately caught myself and I, and I said, Dad, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get so mad. And he was mad too. So, um, but the one thing that he said, he goes, well, I'm pretty sure for the first time you'd win in a fight. And I'm like, I'm positive that I'd win in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, the, the fight ended with me like, do you want to hug Dad? You want me to come over there and hold you like a little baby? And he goes... <laughs> He's like, shut up, don't, no. And I'm like, all right, I wasn't going to, but I thought about it for a second. And I'm like, but don't make me, you get me mad again, I'm just gonna come over there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hug you to death. And, and, <laughs> and he started laughing and we, we moved on. I just know that when we lose sight of the hope, when we stop living uh, with that sense of union with Jesus, that every opportunity, every moment that we're alive is an opportunity to return to the king of life because we have assurance in him, because our assurance is not based upon what we have done, it's based upon what he has done for us. This is the power of what sets us apart in a world. It's not the lack of suffering, but it's hope in the midst of it. As William Barclay said, the Christian hope is not hope in the human spirit, it's not hope in human goodness, it's not hope in human endurance, it's not even hope in human achievement, it's the Christian hope is hope in the power of God. For we have been given, what, a spirit of love and of power. 
and of self-control. Do we realize that, yes, following Jesus is difficult, but he has given us everything necessary to enter the difficult path, and it becomes the difficult pleasure is what it is because he's empowered us by his Holy Spirit to live differently. This is the source of our joy even. Our hope leads to the joy that can't be taken from us. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when he's telling them that he's about to die, when they're all afraid and overwhelmed with grief that they're about to lose him. And he says, he says these things I have spoken to you in John 15, 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do we carry with ourselves, within ourselves, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and being known by him and loved by him? Do we live with a constant awareness of God's graciousness toward us, that God cares about us as if each one of us were the only ones there, that he loves you? Because the love of Jesus is what motivates us to live differently. I want us to be a church that reflects that, that joy, that love, that hope, that we are motivated by this hope, that we have assurance in this hope. And finally, that we understand even the paradox of it, because it is a paradox. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So notice this, this, this hope is something based upon what God has done for us, but then the, the call for us to hold fast to that hope. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain that our intimacy and our union with Christ is all wrapped up in the hope that we, have, that we have received from him as a gift of grace. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I just will say this, that hope is both a work of faith and a gift of grace. It is something we grab a hold of as well as something we receive and celebrate. Hope may require our effort, but it does not rest upon our worth or merit. Thomas Merton has this really, I don't know if any of you have read Merton. I think he writes really beautifully, often very confusing. He's the most Eastern sounding Christian I've ever read, but I, I really like him. And I, I like, this, I like this, this, this quote from him on hope. He said, hope then is a gift, total, unexpected, incomprehensible, undeserved but to meet it, we have to descend into nothingness. And really, that sounds weirder than it is. He just means descend into death, the good death. It is the acceptance of life in the midst of death. Not because we have courage or light or wisdom to accept, but because by some miracle, the God of life himself accepts to live in us at the very moment when we descend into death. The mystery is Christ in us the hope of glory. And this is what Merton is saying. The liberation of the gospel that comes through the good death as a gift sets us free to walk in obedience as covenant partners with Christ. In other words, we don't experience the hope of the gospel until we release our autonomy. It's the thing I was sharing with my dad all week. Dad, you're trying to control your life and, and the control isn't leading to life, it's leading to death. In sickness. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to just know that he loves you. He wants you to experience that love tangibly 
by him coming into your life, but you've got to release control. And we have to, if we want people to release control of their lives and give their full allegiance to Jesus, if we want them to experience the power and the liberation that comes from union with him, we have to model what full surrender looks like. Our freedom, our liberation corresponds to our willingness to enter into the good death. It's what baptism is all about. We have died with Christ. What is the good death? It's dying to the lie of who God never intended you to be, that you might come alive into the person that Jesus wants to, knows you to be, wants to create in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. But just know this, when there's liberation, the moment you've been set free is the moment there becomes responsibility. And I think that the one responsibility that you and I have on a daily basis is to continually lay our lives back down at his feet. And it's when we do that, that hope becomes real and tangible within our lives. It's then that we can become carriers of hope to the hopeless. But if you are living in a place of total autonomy, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not surrendered to him, it will rob you of hope, it'll destroy joy, and it'll ultimately impact your witness. And what we as a community have to encourage each other toward as we live out the pillars of focusing in on Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, as we live intentionally together around him as his people in community, as we keep things simple, that is, we don't lose sight of that central message of being a people about Jesus and for Jesus. And as we share and witness to the gospel within the city of Portland, all of it needs to be driven by this union with him that produces a hope that cannot be taken away from us. And so, in closing, I just want to share with you this verse. It's the verse that inspired the name. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. God, this is from the prophet Hosea and the minor prophets. God speaking through the prophet Hosea to a rebellious Israel, treating Israel like his bride. And he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will allure my people, essentially, and bring her into the wilderness. A wilderness is a place of barrenness. I will strip her of all the things that she has put her hope in falsely. And once I have stripped her of those things, look what it says, I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I don't know if you guys know the meaning of, of Achor, but Achor only appears a few times within the scripture. And the first time it appears in the book of Joshua, and it's when Achan, who is known as the troubler of Israel, takes treasures that are forbidden from Jericho and hides them in the tent. And sin comes into the camp of Israel and it causes Israel to lose a battle because God is not with them in the battle because they've allowed sin in. They've allowed a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And Achan confesses his, his crime and he and his family are judged by the children of Israel. And they're taken out to a valley and it is there that they are put to death for the sin. It's a place where sin is judged and it's called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. But it's fascinating that in the prophet Hosea that the Valley of Trouble becomes literally the door of hope. That the place where sin is judged now becomes a place where hope is secured. What does that sound like? Isn't that so much like Calvary? 
Isn't the center of our hope in the fact that Jesus on the cross took the brokenness and the sinfulness of humanity into himself? He was judged in our place that we might experience that place of death now as a door of hope, a place in which we enter into life. Death literally becomes the conduit by which we experience the fullness of life. Church, my prayer for us as a community is that we would be conduits of hope for the hopeless. That our union with Christ would lead to a hopefulness that is pervasive throughout our body. That we wouldn't become weary of doing good. That there would be a motivation to be witnesses to God's goodness because we have fallen so deeply in love with him, we can't stop until we've told everyone about it. That we're not overwhelmed or discouraged by a refusal to respond to the gospel, but instead we will be infectious because of our absolute love and, and, and just the energy that we carry with us because we know the living Christ and we know that he loves humanity with an everlasting love and we have been called to be witnesses to that truth. Are we willing to be conduits of hope? Because if we're not, we shouldn't have the name in our title. And I pray that we would, that hope would flow out of our love for Jesus Christ. Amen?